0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang.
1: So welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast podcast, usually you hear Daniel Yang's voice at this time, but I had an opportune moment. I love an opportune moment, a Kairos moment, serendipitous, all the different words I can pull from the thesaurus on a moment's notice. So I, I was we actually host uh, twice a year a private meeting with the heads of evangelism of denominations and church planting and ministry. And so I just literally came from that meeting. And while we're there, the closing talk was done by a friend of mine who just did an amazing, amazing job. And so I said, hey, can you come to the studio? And I want to record a podcast with you specifically on reaching the next generation. Because I recognize that we talk about reaching the next generation. We can categorize that in different ways. And my guest actually serves and engages in those different ways. But I want you to stay with me because we've got really a fascinating conversation Talks about his life, which is a fascinating story. He's written a book on it. Um, but also, to engaging the next generation in particular, and I, and I, and I hope, powerful ways. So, so our guest today is actually Greg Steer. He's a champion for un- unleashing this generation with the gospel. And Greg, so so glad you're here. you are able to hang out with us. And let me tell more about you, though, before we say hello. And then you can say hello. You can say hello. Hello. There you go. There you go. You're so timid. You're so timid. Um, Not at all. Dare to share. And the key word is dare. You're not a subtle man. Dare to share. Um, And you you founded and lead Dare to share. We've interacted in several ways. I I actually had the privilege of speaking to some of your key leaders and supporters. I'm a big Greg Steer Dare to share fan, but your talk today was just awesome. And I want you to talk a little bit about uh, why you are so focused on engaging Next Generation. Because our audience is all church leaders. You know, someone might be saying, well, you know, I got a I got a youth pastor or a college minister for that. But why should we all care?
0: Well, if we're really serious about reaching our cities for Christ, uh, we need to go to the demographic that's the most open mm-hmm. to the gospel, and that's 18 years old and younger. And I was a pastor. I was a church planner. Yep. Ten years. Which,
1: which is it like a special club that you're in.
0: Yeah. It, like I, you know what? I'm, I'm so glad. I it was great. And I love ministering to adults and preaching and expositing the word and challenging them to share their yeah. faith and live their faith. But all the while, my whole life was transformed because of youth ministry was on fire yeah. and shook our city for Christ. My whole family came to Christ as a result. And I knew, man, if we're really serious about reaching my city, we got to mobilize teenagers for the cause. And so I was actually... Right up until the Columbine High School shooting happened on April 20th, 1999, I was planning on pastoring and doing Dare to Share at the same time yeah. for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. and everyone, that, the words Columbine, you know, I'm, yeah. regrettably, school shootings are... are, are but that was Con- like, that shook the world, Yeah, and it shook your life. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, I knew a lot of the kids at Columbine High School. My wife is a public school teacher in the same district, and... You know, it was whatever reason, I think Columbine there were shootings before that, John and I, my friend, were talking about that on the way here. There's shootings after that, but it became the terrible yardstick Mm -hmm. by which every other school shooting would be measured Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And because I knew a lot of the kids, it shook me up. And my question was, where were all the Christian kids to reach out to the shooters? What would have happened differently? What could have happened differently if they were reached for Christ? And so I ended up resigning from the church to mobilize teenagers full-time because I feel like there's, what, 350,000 churches in the United States, if, if they're serious about reaching their cities, let's go to the demographic that's the most open, yep. let's mobilize these yep. young people, and then those students become ambassadors of hope. Yep. On their campuses so, the campus. So
1: I want to talk. I want to talk specifically about that. You've been, you, you you quoted some people like Whitfield and Edwards and some others about the next generation that I think is real helpful. But this so the column, I think, becomes a key part of your story. But you've actually written a book called The Unlikely Fighter, which yeah. tells uh, some of the story. It, it, it came out in 21. Mm-hmm. I have privilege of endorsing it. so I read it a little earlier. Um, but it kind of tells your story, yeah. So tell a little bit about your story, and then I want to get back to the next generation question.
0: So I was raised in the inner city of Denver. You know, every city's got a city. Yeah. I gotta know. tell you, when you inner city of Denver, it doesn't sound really scary to it me. It doesn't. But, okay. but every city's got yeah. a city yeah. within the city. Yep. Lincoln, Nebraska, has yep. got a city sure. within the city. And ours was a small patch of area in Denver called North Denver, which yep. was the highest crime area. It was mafia controlled. Yep. My uncles were. Nicknamed the Crazy Brothers by the Mafia, which when the Mafia thinks your family's dysfunctional, it's not good. Three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. I don't know what happened to me. My whole family was... You showed
1: and, at the you shared with us in the conference. And you showed like like arm wrestling. Yeah, my uncle. Jack. And I, I felt like a little bit like I don't, I don't want to arm wrestle that person. And, no, and you, no. you So you're not an arm wrestler. We, no, I'm not. No,
0: but so my whole family was like this, yeah. and very far from God, very violent, in and out of jail, and a hillbilly preacher, mm-hmm. nicknamed Yankee for whatever reason, on a dare reached my toughest uncle with the gospel. My uncle Jack trusted Christ. He brought 250 people out to Yankee's church in one Crazy. month. Uh, my Uncle Bob came to Christ in the back of a squad car after he beat a guy to death, and he just called out to God. Wow. We all, my whole family eventually got involved in Yankee's ministry. Well, Yankee was a pastor, but he believed the fastest way to reach a city was through the youth. So we had 300 adults in our church, but we had 800 wow. teenagers in That's our crazy. youth
1: ministry. That's crazy.
0: And he trained us, and he equipped us, and he mobilized us. So with you started gospel.
1: with that idea. So yeah. How old were you when you came to Christ?
0: Well, I was eight years old. Yeah, yeah. So you
1: fam- lost family, though. Yep. And then Yankee comes in. for Just as a Yankee, I just want to affirm Yankee being the good guy in a story is unusual. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so Yankee comes in. Your family comes to Faith in Christ. Yeah. And Student Ministry is central there.
0: Yeah. And so I start sneaking into the youth group at 11 yeah. years of age, and hmm. immediately I'm trained, equipped, and mobilized. They train us in systematic theology and evangelism wow. and apologetics. They take us out sharing the gospel. Well, the youth group was that big because he trained students to reach students. Crazy. So my point of reference for youth ministry was we're on fire for God. We're responsible to reach our city. Love that. And the adults are there to support and encourage and align us for that. And when I got out and started looking around at other youth ministries, I started realizing, oh, my goodness. Not the thing. No. They're nope. just entertaining these yep. kids and throwing and when them you're
1: out. you're getting me a youth ministry. I want you to get yeah, to youth yeah. ministry, but I need a little more about – because you wrote a whole book. Yeah. And I want to encourage people to get it. Again, it's Unlikely Fighter. And what is it? The subtitle is The Story
0: of – How a fatherless yeah, yeah, street kid yeah. overcame violence, chaos, and confusion to become a radical Christ follower. Yeah, you need to
1: talk to your publisher about a shorter subtitle <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm tracking with you. So, And uh, who is the publisher, by the way? Tyndale. Tyndale. Oh, great. i yeah. the I love Tindall. I write with Tindall. Okay. So so what else is in the, the – because, again, I want to encourage people to pick up on Life yeah. Fighter. What else is in there? But then I want to get to the next generation stuff. You just want to get to the next generation stuff, and I'm trying to talk a little about your book. Sure. So let me work with you
0: here. So my my ma, who I desperately love, she's a single mom, uh, married several times. When she found out she was pregnant with me, she met my biological father at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. He found out. He got transferred. She just drove. so the
1: kids know, party means something's different. Yeah, party some, is code you know, yeah, for naughtiness.
0: Yeah. And she drove from Denver to Boston to have an illegal abortion. Wow. And changed her mind last minute. Came back. She would look at me and start bursting in tears. I remember from the time I was a little kid, she would just cry. Wow. And she had a rage. When I was five years old, I saw her, a guy that she had married, pulled up in a car. He had left us. And I yelled inside, Mommy, Mommy, one of my daddies is here. And she goes, Where's the bat? And I had a little plastic yellow bat. I go, Here, Mommy. She wanted the Louisville Slugger. She reaches behind the door, goes out, cigarette hanging out of her mouth, yeah. de- destroys his car, takes out his windshield, his headlights to the side mirror, te- taunting him to get out of the car. Well, he made the mistake of getting out. Wow she's got five street fighting brothers that are all afraid of her. She took the dude apart. Wow. And I'll never forget, she's walking back up. I'm asking th- three questions. I'm saying three things in my mind. Number one, uh, how did that cigarette stay in her mouth the whole time? <laughs> that's a skill that people That have. is a you skill. Gotta,
1: it's a, that's not our generation. It's the prior generation. Oh, okay. she was yeah. good at it. Yeah. Two
0: is, um, I will never disobey my mom. Yeah, for sure. And thirdly is, why is my mom so angry? Wow. And my grandma told me when I was 12, mm-hmm. the whole story about me almost being aborted. Right, right. She had a shame-fueled rage. Mm -hmm. So when Yankee trained me to share the gospel when I was 12 years old, the first person on my mind was my mom. Yep. And I began to share Christ with her because I was equipped to share Mm -hmm. Christ. It took three years. And finally, when I was 15 years old, I had the privilege of leading my mom to Christ. That's amazing. And while she was smoking a cigarette. Yeah. (laughs) She put her faith in Christ, and I discipled my mom. Wow, 15 years old. Fifteen, That's and crazy. I wasn't an exceptional kid. Yeah. It, I was a trained Well, I kind of don't
1: disagree you're exceptional, yeah. but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, so, And you tell these stories and more. Again, yeah. the, the book here is Unlikely Fighter, uh, the full subtitle, The Story of How a Fatherless Street Kid Overcame Violence, Chaos, and Confusion to Become a Radical Christ Follower. It's really a fascinating read, and it does weave in your passion for student ministry. You've written uh, lots of things mm-hmm. in and around. This is not your only book. You can uh, find these all at the show notes for earlier Leader, Church Leaders podcast. But, um, but when, but matter of fact, we, we joke about it. last time we were on the radio together, somehow Mark Middleberg you and I got in a conversation because <laughs> I co-wrote a book called Viral Churches with Warren Bird. Warren, love you. Um, and then Mark Middleberg chimed in somehow and said, yeah, I wrote a book, you know, because Viral Churches doesn't sound so great after the yep. last few years. Yep. And Mark Middleberg said, well, you know, I wrote Contagious Christian. And then you said, I wrote Outbreak. And Outbreak. so we yeah. are all, we have learned our lesson about book titles to the world. So... Okay, but, but your passion for the next generation becomes so clear and evident, and something seems to have shifted. So, again, even here we were talking about, I'm like, you know, let's be—I'm afraid some people will turn away. I don't want to listen to student ministry conversation. Yeah. But, you know, Donna is my wife. I—we met her. I met her. We met her. We met each other at a—I uh, started a Bible study in my high school. Mm. And she came late, wearing her very cute softball uniform. Sorry, got a little distracted there. That's right. Um, and uh, and left early to go softball practice. And I said, I got to meet that girl. Well, when I got to know her, she had through her church and her student ministry youth group called them, she had actually reached like nine or ten other girls wow. for the good news of the gospel. And I. I, I needed to know this girl. Yeah. And and for me, you know, I, I was in a uh, an Angla, Episcopal church plant at the time. It's a little teen church, maybe 30 people. There were two people in the student ministry, three eventually. And, you know, large, the church is larger now. So we didn't have anything like that. But immediately my life was changed because of a guy who discipled me yeah. named Steve, who was a volunteer youth director who didn't know anything. Mm. But he said, at one point, he said, um, Something like we got to, you know, we should read a book on discipleship. You know, as they told us to do this, so we go to this Christian bookstore, we buy this book with discipleship with the title called "The Cost of Discipleship" mm. by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which turns out probably not the best first book for no. a teenager to read, but changed my life. Yeah. And in this case, both these situations were for Donna and me. Our student ministry years were transformative, and yet it seems that a lot of churches have kind of made that into a four-year holding tank with pizza. Oh my god! And 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 again. If we're going to engage that generation, so keeping in mind that most of our listeners are not yeah. student pastors, yeah. cast a vision why the whole church needs to care.
0: Well, I really do believe the change happens when you're young, yeah. Primarily, yep. something like 80, I mean, we can show the stats. Yeah, 80, yeah. something like eighty percent of the people that come to Christ do it by the time they're age of eighteen. We, if we can mobilize teenagers, we're not having to break up the hard. Not concrete. just
1: evangelize, but mobilize. Teenagers. Yeah, mobilize, yeah. and
0: so like. You know, when you work with adults, you need a jackhammer to kind of some break yeah, up the totally. hard concrete. Yeah. I used to be in construction with teenagers. You just pour the wet cement, Yeah. and with with children. And so, I, I think that the thing is it's not just youth ministry; it's the right kind of youth ministry. Yeah. And so, there's a mentality. It, that I think we're stuck in the 80s of this come and see. You have a pizza party, have fun, mm-hmm. come and bring your friends out, come to camp, come to retreat. And I believe in come and I feel, see.
1: I feel judged because with the two years I was a youth pastor, the worst youth pastor ever, you just described my student <laughs> ministry. So well, I would later learn differently, yeah. but that's sort of what I knew. Even, well, and you know.
0: it's that's part of youth ministry. Yeah. And I'm not saying get rid of yeah. that, but we got to combine. 1986,
1: baby. I was I was making ice cream floats out of uh, gutters. Yes. And, oh yeah. We, lock-ins. do we do lock-ins anymore? Please tell me they don't do they lock-ins. Still do yeah. Sweet do. mother of pearl. I'm already okay. okay. Okay,
0: but but when you combine come and see with go and rescue, right? I think that's where the difference is. It's a nitrogen and glycerin. You're still inviting kids to come to youth group and experience mm-hmm. God, uh, and but you're mobilizing teenagers. If you look in the words of my friend Chris Selby, if your teenager goes to a public school, they're a federally funded missionary for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. They have the opportunity, and you know, with adults, we have to constantly tell them build bridges, build relationships. Uh, and, and make connections. If you tell a teenager to build bridges to their unreached friends, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Their whole life is building bridges. Yeah, They just got to be equipped to cross we'll them.
1: Okay, so when we – the first time you reached out to me, you you were down, and you wanted me to come downtown to see you or something. You were at Moody Bible Institute, mm. and so I met you and uh, what's – what's Debbie Brissett. Debbie, yeah, Debbie's yep. great. And we had lunch there. You were doing a camp. Yep. I think I was there for something else, but we we connected – And you said something to me that actually brought me back to my my conversion. Hmm. I never told you this until right now on the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast, because you said what we tell kids is, or what we tell people is, when you come a Christian, one of the first things you do is tell somebody else. And I processed that, and I remembered that when I was a new, brand new believer. Like I remember, I came to Christ on a Friday night, and the person said to me. the, the person doing the thing said, I've prayed with me and said, now the first thing I want to do is I want you to go tell somebody. Mm. And I didn't know the words. Mm. I didn't know anything. It was this charismatic Episcopal youth camp that my mom made me go to because I got in trouble. I heard the gospel there, not a church kid, didn't grow up in church. And so I went home, told a member, the first thing I asked was a member of my, an adult member of my family. And I said, um, I came home and he said, are you saved? Cause that's the word I heard. That's yeah. all I knew. Yeah. And he said, saved from what? And I said, I don't know. But <laughs> that's, I just was. That's bad. <laughs> and you should you should be too. And, and so and really it helps cement my faith. I was yeah. I was already public. Yeah. So you know, baptism is going public. That's think exactly this, right. But I was public
0: yeah. before that. And that that when J- in James 2, when it says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous when he was willing to offer Isaac on the altar? His faith and his actions working together, his faith was matured, made complete by what he was willing to do. Because he put what meant most to him on the mm-hmm. altar. What means most to a teenager is how their friends perceive them. And when they evangelize, they're putting that social equity on the altar, and they're saying, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice this for the sake of the gospel. And they mature as a result. Mm-hmm. I think we look— I just look...
1: would tell you the phrase, social equity, was not what I was thinking as a teenager, but I like it. I mean, yeah. really, it does, just as baptism is that yeah. public identification in our, in our tradition. Um, I, I, think, I think, for me, I mean, I literally went away from that lunch with you, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was— so thoughtful, and I didn't even realize it until decades later.
0: Well, if you do look at baptism yeah. as, a, as, as that first evangelism experience, yeah. because in the early church, they did that yeah. in public. And Romans 10, the NIV text note says that that phrase, Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. was the baptismal confession. So if you think about it, it's saying you confess with your you believe in your heart you're justified. You confess with your mouth you're saved. Maybe that saved is not the justification. Maybe that's the sanctification. So that when you declare Jesus is I'm Lord, to think if I in agree that, with that moment, you said that
1: very fast. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so
0: if you look in the NIV text notes, yeah. it says that phrase Jesus is Lord right. was the baptismal confession. Right, sure. So you believe in your heart, you're justified. Right. You declare with your mouth you're saved. Perhaps mm. that is talking about more about the sanctification side mm. because okay. you did a public declaration in front of strangers and friends right. that Je- I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, sure. and the life. He's the one way. Sure. Uh, that's a microcosm of evangelism yep. right there. Go in public with your makes faith.
1: perfect sense. Okay, so um, you wrote another book called mm. "Gospelize," and it, the whole theme is "Gospelize" your youth ministry. Yep, I, I read that, mm. um, and because again, I, I, just to be clear, I was I was I was in college for two years. I was a part-time youth pastor. Mm. I w didn't know what I was doing. Nobody told me what to do. I just loved Jesus and I was a college student. So that makes you a youth pastor in some context. There you go. I don't think it's a good thing. I'm just saying that's what it was. At least um, in an
0: Episcopalian character. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly, exactly. Actually that was not I was Baptist by then. Okay. So yeah, so so um so so when you when you look at a lot of student ministries today, um, I think a lot of people are just like, I'm just trying to get people to come. Yeah. Let alone helping them be gospel witnesses. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of our student ministry is trying to witness, trying yeah. to get people to walk with the Lord. Yeah. Does that, is there, is there a chicken, is there an egg, is there an egg a chicken? How does it all work?
0: Well, you know, what we did in, in Gospel Eyes yeah. is I, we did a massive research project. Yeah. We found seven values that were common to every youth ministry that was seeing 25% new conversion growth mm-hmm. per year or more. And I would venture to say these pro- this is probably true churchwide, even though these are youth ministry-focused. Cross-checked it with the book of Acts, what we discovered is youth ministries that were thriving with new disciples made and multiplied, intercessory prayer was a huge priority. They prayed for the lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they interceded for the lost. And, you know, we spend more time in announcements hmm. than intercessory prayer for the lost. First Timothy 2, when Paul is equipped, telling Timothy, here's how you program the church at Ephesus. First of all, prayers, thanksgivings, intercessions be made for all people. It was part of the church services mm-hmm. early on. You prayed for no the question. lost. No question. Secondly, relational evangelism drives it. So they're... Students are, were equipped with gospel urgency, mm-hmm. fluency, and some sort of strategy to share okay, the gospel.
1: You said those in you know, part of your talk yeah. was urgency, fluency, fluency and strategy. strategy. So just go through those quickly, yeah. because if I could just be blunt, uh, that's a student ministry strategy, but that's a church strategy. It too. is so a church strategy.
0: So urgency is why should I Why should I risk yeah. my social equity to share right. the gospel? Because,
1: you know, we talk about students, but, you know, we're just two, three floors down from yeah. where the Chuck Colson stuff is here mm-hmm. at Wheaton College. And Chuck Colson talked about the cocktail party pressure. Hmm. So there's you're expending social equity as an adult sharing yeah, the gospel. Exactly. And there's a cocktail party pressure. You know, we can talk about those things among polite company. Yeah. Okay, keep going.
0: So, I mean, why should I do gospel this? And gospel fluency right. is what is the gospel. Yeah. You know, if you do an interview of the average churchgoer and say, "What explain the gospel to me, it's going to be like a Texas steer, a point here, a point there, a lot of bull in between. You know, it's not going <laughs> to be clear. I'd like to apologize coaching.
1: to my listeners who are very traditional for that. But <laughs> my I last gotta, name is Steer. So so, right. Oh, well played. That's what you go. There you go. Meant, yeah. there you go. Exactly.
0: Um, thirdly is gospel strategy. What is that methodology? Yeah. And a lot of times we just depend. We go straight to the methodology. Right. We'll use... Use the four spiritual laws or use EE or use life in six words or the four. Or yeah, those are
1: all evangelism things. Those are unfamiliar. Yeah, with, yeah. But and what, by the way, for the record, if you'll use any of them, we're for you using any of them. Uh, right, exactly. exactly.
0: But what before we get there, we yeah. need to give the urgency, the fluency. They need to understand right. the gospel. Right. And then whatever strategy you use will work. Right, right. If you have
1: the fluency yep. and the urgency, whatever strategy is going to be effective in that context. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah.
0: the illustration I use is when I go into a steak restaurant, I don't go for the plate, I yep. go for the steak, There you go. You know, um, and the gospel is the steak, right. the, the methodology is the plate, so right. pick a plate and serve the serve steak, that and steak. It'll, right, right. it'll be fine, and the third, I won't go through all the values, but the third value I think is really, really important for this audience, yeah. uh, youth leaders and church leaders. Right. There's all church leaders here, yeah. but
1: certainly youth leaders as well.
0: So what I would say is this, is the third value is leaders fully embrace and model it, so If you're a church leader and you are not personally sharing the gospel, then your people aren't going to share the gospel. You know, if if your people aren't sharing the gospel, you don't need a bullhorn. You need a mirror because Jesus said in Luke, uh, no student is above their teacher, but when they're fully trained, they'll be like their teacher. So the question I ask church leaders is this, is if all your people share the gospel like you do, would your city be reached for Christ by now? Uh, And I think a lot of the problems is we as leaders, as pastors, don't personally engage our neighbors, family, and friends in relational evangelism. Let me
1: me give you a pithy phrase that sounds like something John Maxwell would come up with, but it's so true in evangelism. You can't lead what you won't live. Mm. And so for me, uh, with my team, um, when we would gather together for staff meetings, I would ask—COVID changed a lot of this—but I would ask, um, who have you shared the gospel with in the last week? Yep. And I learned that you would never know Richard Harris, but he was my vice president when I was mm-hmm. at the North American Mission Board. he came come into this room. There were 20 of us and said, who have you shared the gospel yep. with this week? Yep. And and sometimes he'd call
0: on us. Yeah.
1: And I sought to create in my life, and I want to encourage uh, those who are listening to do in their life. You know, I have a regular habit of prayer. I yep. have a regular habit of Bible study called yep. Spiritual Disciplines. Yep. Evangelism is a spiritual discipline as well. And I seek, I ask the Lord's grace so that once a week I might be able to share the gospel outside of a local yeah. church setting with somebody, and That's it so got good, hard too. during COVID, yeah, because all of a sudden these relationships, everyone's behind yeah. a mask or social distance. But I, I don't, you know, depending upon where you are, and I, yeah. you know, I, I recognize we don't know exactly where things will be when this podcast releases. But but it's a lot easier now than it was a year and a half ago, yep. and so make that part of your spiritual disciplines as well.
0: And and I I would say this I think COVID has actually helped evangelism. Tell me, in, in tell the me, Sense. I was talking to Louis Giglio, and I we just doing, drop that in there. Well, we were doing Louis a podcast Giglio. together, and I decided he, he's,
1: he's not. I, he said no to my podcast.
0: Oh really? He's well, there you go.
1: Actually, I don't think I asked him. Which now I feel guilty because he's probably listening every week. So Louis. Louis. Just I should say ask yes, say I should yes ask
0: to Ed. I had his friend, Andy Stanley, on. So but I, I asked I asked him the question, because he does the Passion Conference. Yeah, yeah. I go, have you found the college-age students more open? He goes, more than ever before. Fascinating, okay. And, yeah, and Chandler, he goes, We had, they're had they're...
1: Chandler on, and he said the same thing on the podcast. You know,
0: and and it hit me, and I said, you know, I think it is, when I was a pastor and I did a funeral, and you know this as pastors, when you do a funeral, people are more open to the gospel. Sure. Because they're not just thinking about the loss of that person. They're thinking about their own mortality, I think COVID has been like a global funeral service, and I think young people and old people are thinking about yeah. death because everybody knows somebody who died, mm-hmm. and they're thinking about their own mortality, which is a perfect entree to talking about the hope we have now and yeah. the hope we have forever through Jesus. Christ.
1: I'm not. I'm. I'm. I, I don't often disagree with my guess. I'm not 100 percent sure you're right, because I think simultaneously, so much mm. of our evangelism took place for people who are loosely connected to the church. Mm-hmm. Those people show up Christmas, Easter, yeah. five, seven, nine times a year. And I think most of those people have disconnected. Mm-hmm. So I think people in secular people maybe are more open, but those nominal Christians I'm concerned have yeah. disconnected. So it's going to be interesting how it, it out. D- I want you a- to be right. Yeah. And I hear more people saying that than not. So you may be right. I'm talking I'm about statistically yeah. suspicious.
0: I'm practically not suspicious because <laughs> I was on a plane last night yeah. with a lady named Stephanie who, yeah. Something traumatic happened to her. I think somebody close to her may have passed, yeah. and she opened up. She was Jew, a secular Jew. Yeah. She opened up her life for two hours. Wow, wow, camp wow. Her. Yeah. We talked.
1: Yeah. No, I'm thinking, I'm I'm hearing many people saying the same thing. And, uh, you know, I'm just a stats guy, so I want to see it. But our stats are all useless right now because all the surveys, they're often done face-to-face. Everything changed, so we got about two years to figure that out. But I want that to be true. But here's what we both know is true, is that if we can elevate a focus on evangelism, but it seems to me that, um, you know— I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, right? Yeah. You're at Dare to Share. For those of you, I don't, did I, did I say, I think I said that at the beginning because yeah. we jumped right in. But Dare to Share is Greg's ministry uh, and really global ministry just doing incredible things. Um, and you can find out more, just go to the Ed Stetscher uh, Church Leaders podcast links and you'll go right to Dare to Share. Um, but we're both sometimes, we, we, this is what, part of what we talked about a few years ago. It's kind of like 30 years ago, mm. You know, I mean, this very building mm. used to be filled for weeks with Billy Graham Schools of Evangelism, and they had you know they had funding and pe- yeah. they paid for people to go and all kinds of stuff. And I get it, but I wrote a, an article a few years ago: Where have all the evangelism conferences gone? Yeah. And you have been a faithful, steady voice. And sometimes I feel like you, me, and you know, a handful of others, yeah. where everyone else is. Pers- and I get it, there are other important things. Sure, but how do we make sure we don't lose a focus on the gospel in our churches? In because that's again, these are church yeah. leaders. So take it up from the student ministry to the church as a whole, how do we make evangelism a priority again? Well,
0: let me just make something really clear. I think a simple way to do that is to start giving the gospel in every talk that you give. When you preach Sermons, a Sunday morning talks, sermon, whatever it be, yeah. March 12, 1989, when we planted Grace Church yeah. in Arvada, Colorado, I made a promise. Every week, you're going to hear a clear gospel presentation, and any, anybody that's there is going to have an opportunity, some way to respond. And... We we now. Now, I want to ask you though, because when people
1: hear that, they think come forward invitation, but that's not what you meant. No, there's different. different there's different yeah. ways
0: to do that. Filling yeah. out cards, you could do the come forward illustration. Yeah. You could do bow head. Yeah. My preferred way was bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, get eye contact afterward. We're going to follow up with you. There's different ways to do that, but some way for people mm-hmm. to respond. And people are like, well, the Bible never, the nev- Bible never has an invitation. I go, the Bible always has an invitation. It's come to the water. Their walk forward was to the water, mm-hmm. literally, just come into the water right then. So there was a response mm-hmm. time. And give those people a response. Here's what happened at Grace.
1: Grace is the church. Grace church,
0: yeah. is the Grace church in Nevada, Colorado. Every week, people came to Christ. Yeah. I remember two weeks as a pastor yeah. where nobody came to Christ back to back. And the elders gathered us in a circle and said, the sin of Achan must be in the camp because nobody trusted Christ in the last two weeks. Well, people got to
1: Google the sin of Achan if they don't know. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're church leaders. They know yeah, the that's it, true. It. They all know
0: that. But 20 years, Maybe. I've been out of the church for 20 years. The church is, is a good-sized church now, several thousand but here's the stat, 62% of the people in that church came to Christ from people reaching people yeah. or people inviting out to church, yeah. which is outstanding yeah. because the gospel to this day is given clearly. Yeah. So a, a simple hack is...
1: Hack. We should, that'll be, that'll be, I, the people at Outreach who like do this, they're going to yeah. say, here's a hack, because yeah, they love that kind of okay, stuff. Here's, yeah. a hack. Here's, here's a hack. A, What's the hack?
0: Whatever passage you're preaching on yeah. in Scripture, yeah. dig your hand into the dirt, and find, for Old Testament and New Testament, that scarlet cord. There is a cord that you can pull up and follow it to the cross of Christ. Make a salvation segue and give the gospel every week. And let your people know, every week, I'm going to give the gospel no matter what. Uh, and anytime you bring somebody here that doesn't know Christ, um, they're going to hear the gospel clearly. Then you challenge them. Take their friends out to lunch afterward, and they ask, what did you think about what the pastor said? So good. And they can do the follow-up that's what we did at Grace Church we called it the reverse altar call because the real ministry would happen at lunch after church yeah, when sure. they invited their friends out sure. and, and let
1: me just say that that i'm kind of with him on this so if you're listening to the podcast and I don 't think you know most people don 't listen to me preach I preach at different churches and when I 'm a guest it's a little different yeah. but when I consist when it's when I have the privilege of being an interim or consistently preaching and it's not out of the zone of where they are yeah. when i 'm the pastor that's where I go yeah and you know I, I use the term a little differently the uh, scarlet uh, uh, scarlet cord, but I, I, I'd point to Spurgeon, make yeah. a beeline to the make cross. Make a beeline to the cross. And it doesn't have to be, you said it's a salvation segue. Yeah. It doesn't have to be awkward. Yeah. But when I'm in Proverbs, I say, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, these could just be pithy sayings yeah. about how you live your life. That's right. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the power to live what it means to be a exactly. follower of Christ. So if you're not, let me tell you how to be. And it doesn't <clears> have to be 10 minutes of the message.
0: No, no. It's just a few minutes at no. the end. And also, here's another quick hack.
1: Hacks. When you start doing this, Jessica, who's our producer, she's going to love the Twitter, the tweets. Hacks. There you go. Hacks from Greg Steer.
0: So the tendency is for people to start putting their stuff away because they know you're giving the gospel.
1: Zip that Bible. Bible zippers should be banned. That's right.
0: So once a month, you say, hey, everybody, putting your stuff away, stop putting your stuff away right now because we're in a battle with Satan for the souls of people in here that don't yet know Christ. So keep your eyes open and pray for the people around you who don't know Christ. You do that once a month, once every six weeks. What happened at Grace was they entered in to spiritual warfare for the souls. They started praying for the people in that room that did not yet know Christ. So when they heard the "God bless you," "God bless you" for hands going up, oh, yeah. they were part of that because they were the air. Yeah, they don't
1: know what you're talking about. So not everyone, everyone. The Presbyterians was like, "What are you talking about? God bless you, God bless you." God oh yeah,
0: you. so I did the bowed head, closed <laughs> eyes. If you're trusting was your, in was Jesus, your Church of Baptist Church, It Sounds like right. it was, it was a Baptist. It, it was kind here. of a non-denominational.
1: Yeah, okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But the, so when people pray, yes, ask them, raise your hand, and they say "God, yeah. God bless you," which God indicates you. you see them. They didn't. Sneeze. Not, not everyone yeah. does that, that's so that's a part. You got
0: you got got know. I got to let me translate. Sorry, sorry.
1: Broad audience. That's right. That's right. charismatic. Yeah, you just a little because right, right. I came to. Christ I love the thought of it. The charismatic Episcopal Church. It's I'm not as big as it used to be. When, yeah. In the you know my when, when the seventies and eighties it was kind of a big it was kind of a big thing. Now it's mostly in Anglicanism rather than the Episcopal Church. But that's another story for another day. Yeah. Uh, last thought we got we got to wrap up the podcast. Um, give give just a closing exhortation to pastors and church leaders about making evangelism a priority in their personal lives so it's reflected in their church yeah. ministry.
0: Yeah, pastors, I would just really challenge you. Maybe go off campus. Maybe study at a Starbucks. That's what I do. Uh, be around. Join a gym. Be with people. Build relationships. And, and leave those Jesus breadcrumbs right away in that conversation. And they'll know you're a believer. Maybe let, let them know you're a pastor. Ask them what they do. They're going to ask you what you do. And you can share. And right away, they know. And then maybe even ask them, hey, is there any way I can be praying for you? And that can lead to so many great conversations. Pray every day, God, give me an opportunity mm. today to share the good news with somebody. And that's a prayer that God loves to answer. So uh, go for it. If you need help, I mean, we're Dare to Share. and We're like Liam Neeson Take, and Taken. We have a very particular set of skills, <laughs> and we will help you. We will look for you, we will find you, and we will gospelize you. We will help you do that and help your people do that as well.
1: Love that. Greg Steer from Dare to Share. Let me also mention that Greg has uh, written a book by that title, Dare to Share, a field guide to sharing your faith. It's applicable for everybody. And also the book I mentioned at the beginning is Unlikely Fighter, the story of how a fatherless street kid overcame violence, chaos, and confusion to become a radical christ follower. Greg, oh, I'm supposed to mention though, the y'all at me. Uh, make sure you like and share wherever you download your podcasts, and we appreciate you so much for taking the time to listen. Thanks, Greg, for being our guest.
0: Thanks, Ed. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.